Hey, this is the Beyond the Dojo podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremiah. We've had quite the exciting year so far. It's already April. Hard to believe that. Yeah. No. Yeah. A lot of things going on. Um, mm. We ha- I had, uh, we've had, we haven't had nearly the issues that everyone else has had because we haven't been in lockdown, but we have had some exciting things happen in the dojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lauren's been on, what, two podcasts in this month? Uh, not this month, but I, I was on two other podcasts recently, so if you want to check those out, one was Hombu Dojo Podcast, and one was, um, Questions Over a Beer. Beer. With mm-hmm. So, with the H-E-K-I folks, so, answered some interesting questions there, so you should check those out. Um, and, uh, other cool things, we have, uh, we have really interesting experiences in the dojo with yeah. our students. It's just yeah. how we get through the day, <laughs> you know, watching kids beat each other up, and, us just envisioning that we are the child hitting the other child with a ball in the head and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Maybe you, not me. Yeah, well, this week um, we have a five-year-old who has a pretty strong speech impediment, like mm. to the point that he that other students cannot understand him sometimes. Like, for example, when he says pink, he says plank. And I can't tell if he's saying blank or plank or whatever, but it's mm. pink. Okay. So we have this... Because our dojo used to be a vet clinic, we have all these really weird things in the dojo. So we have this square hole in the wall that has a door over it, and it's got a lock on it that's not locked. The kids are not allowed to open this door. So I tell them, it's where the bad kids go. (laughs) So all the kids know, don't mess with the door, that's where the bad kids go. So these two kids, a four-year-old and a five-year-old, run up to me the other day in class, and they're like, we want to open up, the, the, the girl says, we want to open up the door. I said, well, no, you can't open up the door. That's where the bad kids go. She's like, well, we think there's gold in there. I said, nope, there's no gold in there. That's where the bad kids go. And then the five-year-old with the very strong speech impediment says to me, clear as day, they might be dead by now. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> so I said, then sounds like you better be good. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's how yes. you threaten your your young children into behaving in your karate classes. Yeah, awesome. Had any of those experiences lately, dear? No, nah, I just want to sh- choke everyone of my kids <laughs> up to death. I mean, it. I think you know. I always feel like there's a good cop, bad cop scenario on the dojo. Maybe. And and Lauren's generally the good cop, and I'm generally the bad cop. So. The idea of me having to do anything like that is kind of foreign. I just stare at them. I give them the evil eye. I threaten them with their lives, and, and we move on. He really doesn't simple. really threaten them with their lives. See, me saying there's there might be dead kids in this little hole, so you better be good, that's kind of threatening them with their lives. No, see, for me, it's like I'll pick you up and choke you. <laughs> we don't um, actually abuse children, just no, saying. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... um. It's, it's a funny thing you talk about it because on the other flip side of it, I, I kind of figure out how to teach a class that I was having a struggle getting everybody to perform. And, mm-hmm. you know, it came from our pastor. He, he was talking about his second daughter being such a trouble troublesome daughter where she everything he said, she wanted to either argue or challenge and this and that. And he said he finally figured out that he just set the structure up and allowed her to fail, but there was an agreement beforehand, so there was nothing she could argue about. It was already established. So clear consequences. If clear consequences, she... exactly what's going to happen, what's right. gonna, how it's going to be dealt with. And uh, Thursday night, I tried it out, and I don't know if it was just a random night, but everybody hit their marks, and if they didn't hit the marks, they just stayed in that same technique or whatever until they did. Right. It was like a, like a Montessori kind of approach where you move to your own 
you know, advancement, pace. I guess, or pace. Mm. And uh, I would say overall, in my eyes, the, the overall, the standard of karate was better. Right. Everybody was doing the things I was asking. Right. Um, when we got to kata, it was kind of weird. Like, it, I can't figure out how to do it a little bit more systematic, mm. where it's a little clear, more clear cut. Yeah. But I'm um, pretty happy with that. It, it definitely showed that everybody was interested. Mm-hmm. It is that it sometimes would, you know, blank out, which I should have known better, but. Well, I mean, it's for a student, if you're doing a technique and you're not doing it correctly, but you see other students that are now moving on to something else and mm-hmm. you're stuck on the same thing, that's pretty good motivation to be like, hey, I should probably, you know, bend my knee in front stance and, and close my fists and, and do things properly and whatever. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And I, you know, it's nice because it was a weird age because you can't really, with teens and adults, you kind of just like, look, this is what's going to happen. Mm. And generally, they're like, okay. Yeah, and they actually want to Yeah, improve. they're there already, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, these kids at that, that, that age are just, they're there because they want to. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Until you have to work. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be there. But mm-hmm. then when you play a game, you want to be there all the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm grateful that they're competitive. And they, they're surprised they have to do karate in karate class. It's yeah. Insane. It's insane. <laughs> It is absolutely insane. <laughs> but they are competitive, and that's one thing that I'll say for them because their competitiveness definitely pushes them to do things that they don't really, you know, look forward to doing. So what we're saying is, if your students are sucking right now, pit them against each other. Create a <laughs> hatred within your dojo from student to student, like Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do level stuff, and then they will do fine. Yes. Yeah, like that. That's that is the the recipe for success. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No. Um. So last month we actually got a little bit of a break. Yeah. And we got to travel down to Sarasota to train with Rick Hotton's people, and we actually had a really cool interview of him. So if you haven't watched it or listened to it, you should go back and listen to the interview. It's really nice. He's an awesome guy. Got stayed at Sanctuary. The place is fantastic. You yeah. guys saw all mm-hmm. of that if you watched the episode. Why do I feel like we're getting pimped out right now? We totally are. Okay. We're just like sharing all this. That's how all this cool stuff's been happening we, over we the past have, few like, months. We should have all our sponsorships over the screen. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is what we've been up to. Yeah. Um, so while we were down there, um, we had some great conversations with uh, the guys that train in his dojo, which is really neat because they're adults who were like in Q ranks as opposed to, you know, a wide, like, in a regular dojo or, I don't know, in our dojo, we have everyone from kids to adults. So we have really great experiences with people of different ages. This dojo is exclusively adults, yeah, or older teens or whatever, but primarily adults. So and primarily younger adults too. Right. So we're talking about guys in their mid to late eight. Uh, I'm sorry, mid to late twenties. Yeah, eighties. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because you know, they're young. Uh, <laughs> they have a different perspective oh, on absolutely. karate altogether. And they're they're, dude, they're amped to train. Yeah. Like they, you can you see like the excitement in their eyes, and it's mm-hmm. awesome to be around that so kind of energy. Shout out to you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, it was refreshing to be around you guys because it's like. I remember what that felt like, even though they're older than I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's a different, yeah. different area of your karate life. So, yeah. um, so it was really good. Yeah. I, it was motivating. I mean, it made me want to... I didn't go home going, man, I wish our dojo was like that. Because no, like, yeah. our dojo was itself unique and, and different dynamics. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I was like very appreciative of how the, the adult and teens class is growing. In our dojo. In our dojo. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, that to me is like, all right, one day we're going to be sitting at a restaurant after s- Saturday training, mm-hmm. eating burgers, talking about life. And that's that's the end goal, right? Is yeah. to, to do life together and, and enjoy the fruits of the community that we work so hard to build up right. and, and encompass everybody. And I yeah. Think if, I can, like, <sighs> if I can go on a tangent here real quick, 
that teens and adults class when we first opened oh, uh, we well when we first opened our, this dojo because we were essentially moving from the old location to a new location our enrollment tripled so we went from 25 students to 75 students within two months we didn't have systems or teachers in place in order to take care of all those people yeah. um, but we had a really big teens and adults class for a couple of years so we usually were at around 15 students which for the size of our building is pretty big right. um, and then at one point because we had a lot of students advancing we actually lost almost almost that entire class. Some right. students advanced, some students quit, some students moved away. Got to the point where we literally had one student in the teens and adults class. Right. Almost to the point where we weren't sure if we should keep the class because we couldn't get anybody in the class. And that went on from probably mid-2019 until Early. the majority of 2020. Which yeah, obviously yeah. we couldn't do too much. Fall, because, fall of 2020 Right, yeah. is when we started to get more students because we... We were closed down for two months last year, and then we had a hard time getting anybody back in there. There'd be nights where we wouldn't have anybody. We would just be sitting and waiting for the advanced class to start because there would be no teens and adults. Yeah. But that class now has like 12 students enrolled. It's just been kind of slow and systematic. Uh, so we spent time with the students who were in the class and tried to focus in on making them the best they could possibly be. And now that class has this great atmosphere, and it's drawing people into it. So just an encouragement if your dojo is struggling. I know times are really different right now as, as of this recording. But if your dojo is struggling, that's, that's the approach to take. Jeremiah actually talked about this recently in a different context. And that's where the idea in my mind came from. But whatever you have given to you, work with that and do the best you can with the students that you have and create that great environment, and it will grow. Yeah, do your, do what you love. Do focus on the things you you can't control, right? And yeah. Let everything else just kind of fall in place. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. So anyway, stepping well, off my soapbox now. Because uh, you know, I told her about it. He basically did say that. Different context, but he did say that. Yeah, but it's a universal thing. Right. Right. So anyway, no, back. So I mumbled the word I can't pronounce. Me, 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 me. <laughs> so back to talking about uh, the folks down in Sarasota Hot yeah. Dojo. We actually got uh, asked a great question by our brother Keith. Who just so happens to share our last name. Yeah. He might be our adopted son, but I don't know if he likes that. So I don't know about. I don't want to know. So that. he actually asked us. Um, he's. I, I don't remember the exact way he you, would phrased you get a tax it. Break for that? Can we claim him as one of our dependents? Ah, oh, dude. Hey Keith, hit us up, hit us up, man. Hit us up. Let us know. Um. So he was asking us, how do you distinguish between muscle or joint soreness and pain from an injury? Um, so what's the difference between like just being sore from training versus actually being in injured? And then furthermore, we also discussed like how to avoid that and how to recover from it. So we're going to kind of go over what we talked about with him and maybe share some additional ideas. So first thing I'll ask Jeremiah, how would you distinguish between a muscle or joint being sore versus you actually having an injury? Well, generally acute injuries is something that's sudden. So if we're talking about a rolled ankle or something like that you should know when it happened if you're talking about like a chronic injury where injury where it's like overuse and wear and tear um i would venture to say that the pain never goes away with soreness you, you, you're sore then it lessens and it lessens until you work out again but you could almost schedule that soreness you know what i mean that delayed onset muscle soreness and and figure it out from there like a scheduling thing knowing where when you worked out what muscles you were working and then kind of relating to that. Mm -hmm. If you know your body well enough. Oh, you'll you know. have to, Sometimes you'll be surprised by what's sore. But Yeah. Given, you know, given that you're aware, you know, of your body for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're talking about guys that have been training for a while and this is what they're looking at. Not even, not even in karate, just being like active. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you could relate 
injury and soreness to all activities. Mm-hmm. So I would say body awareness. And then when it's set on, like, does it go away? Mm-hmm. Now, go away means, like, completely go away. Not just fade and then, re, you know, get sore or have be painful and then fade away, but still be there a little bit. That nagging pain is generally a, a sign of, of an injury. Right. So that's how I would look at it. Right, definitely. Yeah, I think that, um, like we said, soreness, usually there's an indicator that you're going to be sore, and it's a different type of feeling. It's almost like... Sometimes it's like stiffness. Sometimes mm. it's like a little bit of almost burning sensation or like that, it's hard to use that area. Let's preface that with being young, relatively healthy athletes because mm. pain is this pain is all the same kind of pain at my age. I feel like, well, oh, okay. it hurts, it hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard I, to distinguish between Right, two, so, if, so if it's at that point where pain and soreness kind of feels the same for you, definitely the amount of time or the intensity of it is going to be yeah. kind of where the difference is. If you are someone who is like constantly training though and you're not giving yourself adequate rest, then that soreness might not go away as quickly as it would if you were resting longer. Now remember, whenever you introduce a new training stimulus, sometimes you actually have to rest for longer. So like people who first start out karate, their freaking legs are usually killing them for a longer period of time versus if you've been training for years and years. I mean, we can get into stances all day long and like not get sore, but we've been doing it for like 20 years. So... There's, there's a little bit of a difference there as far as like how, how long you've been training a certain type of way. Um, and yeah, definitely acute injuries, generally you can feel it in the moment or you yeah. know when it happens. I mean, that's, that's, there's no mistaking. But something that's an overuse injury, that one's the one that's gets, that gets kind of tricky. That's right. the one where you, you don't know whether to categorize it as soreness or as actually an injury. So um, a few things you can do, like Jeremiah was saying, is like, how long that injury tends to persist can right. be a thing. Um, if the stiffness doesn't go away, like, like I'm not saying ever, but, you know, usually with soreness from, like, muscle use, like, if I do front squats or something, like, my quads will feel pretty stiff, but I can usually, like, work it out. Like, I, yeah. I can warm up and whatever, and I'll feel a little bit better. Stiffness from a, from a chronic or, or a overuse injury you can sometimes work that out as well, but it will just reoccur. So like every single day. So usually people who have like plantar fasciitis, which is where the um, the tendon covering of the bottom of the foot actually gets inflamed. I'll say that in quotes. And then also has like actual damage. Every morning is usually when your feet will feel the worst generally, because that's when it's the stiffest. You don't have as much blood flow. Tendons already have a hard time getting enough blood flow as it is. So when you first get out of bed, it's like someone's stabbing you in the feet. It feels awful. Mm. But the more you're able to warm up, usually you start to feel better. But the problem is that that repeats every single day. So that's one way to know of like a tendon overuse injury. Um, and sometimes that might re- be related to ligaments as well. But mm. essentially that's kind of being repeated every single day. So that's that's kind of like Jeremiah said, body awareness mm. as to whether or not you're actually injured or you're kind of sore. Yeah. So, would you say rest is the best test to differentiate between the two? So, let's say you're hurting all over. You have you haven't taken more than a day or two off mm-hmm. in between training or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say you rest for a whole week. Mm-hmm. Do you think the soreness by a whole week of rest would go away, but before a chronic injury? Depending on what type of training stimulus it was, yeah. I mean. Um, I have done workouts as recently as two years ago where my butt was sore for like 10 days. So sometimes it takes more than a week. But generally, 
then that was like an extreme case. Generally, within a week, soreness will go away. Yeah. Um, sometimes, even overuse injuries, they almost function similarly to soreness, where mm. if you do give yourself adequate rest, they will start to go away. Essentially, what you're trying to do with an overuse injury is you're trying to give your body enough time to begin that recovery process and to avoid that pain signal for just long enough that your body is comfortable with pushing that envelope again. Okay. So um, maybe we can talk about recovering from injury and then we'll loop back around to how to avoid it. Okay. Okay. So, so if you do have that injury or you do have soreness, so let's, we'll talk about two different perspectives here. If you were sore, how would you recover from it? Rest for sure. Okay. Um, and then any kind of mobility stuff, keeping the body limber, mm-hmm. full range movement, nothing vigorous, nothing sharp. Just mm-hmm. a nice, easy stretch, easy range of movement mov- movements. Um, even, you know, foam roller or a ball or something just to kind of work those real tight areas. Mm-hmm. But that's all, like, dependent on your pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, when you're sore, when you do those things, it's just it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. that's my approach. Rest think- and then gentle movement. Do you think that massage or things like that play a role into recovering from Yeah, if soreness? you have the ability to go to a massage therapist, I would highly encourage it. Within the two hours after the workout, uh, it has the greatest effect. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're working out and you're, you have the ability to do a 30-minute massage focused on your legs if you're doing a lot of karate. Mm-hmm. Within that two-hour uh, time frame, you can reduce your soreness by at least half. Mm-hmm. So the next day or the day after, when generally when you feel the the, the dead delayed onset muscle soreness it won't be as significant it'll still be there but not as significant so mm-hmm. um it all depends on how your body reacts to okay and the massage therapist now you have to trust like any kind of medical or health um provider you got to trust what they're doing they have right. to be well well educated they have to have some experience mm-hmm. um you know if you're going to go to like a massage envy or something like that right after you work out you might want to make sure they understand what kind of massage you want you want a deep tissue recovery massage so mm-hmm. that they don't just sit there and do the frou-frou fluffy well, massage give the wrong massage for the wrong yeah. The issue yeah you know you got to be clear about these things you just can't just get a regular old like therapeutic or relaxing massage i think that's going to do it no there's mm. specific techniques right stretching not stretching by yourself but actually having someone else stretch you mm-hmm. <clears throat> definitely gives you a benefit. So. But you're saying the priority with that is immediately after training. Immediately after, within a two-hour hour, hour um, time frame. Because if you if you go past that, it still helps. Right. But the the to the degree is definitely definitely right. different. So. Right. Okay. So I'm going to talk about after that two-hour time period. So after that two-hour time period, research shows that the the most effective way of reducing soreness would be repeating similar patterns to what you did to make you sore. So that's after that two hour time period. And actually it wouldn't be, you wouldn't want to do this probably in the same day. You'd want to do it like the next day or the day after. Once you start to experience those feelings of soreness, sometimes repeating that same activity that actually got you sore or similar movements will help. So for example, if you just trained um, a one hour karate class and there was a lot of intensive stance work, like a lot of front stance, back stance, whatever, Doing a little bit of movement through those stances will actually help. It freaking sucks when you're getting into those stances because your quads feel like they're going to explode. But it does actually help with blood flow and it does actually help with kind of alleviating some of that, uh, some of that soreness and some of that damage that's going on in the area. So essentially that's going to be one of your best bets. If you were doing strength training, what I normally tell all my clients with that is 
if you did like a set of back squats or front squats or whatever, something that was weighted, you would do like a set of body weight squats or maybe a similar rep scheme with not as much weight just to kind of get the legs moving. I'm using the legs because to me, legs are always the worst as far as soreness, so, but anything that's that's sore, you can kind of do that same pattern. So when you're working with weights, it's easy just to reduce the weight to give you a less intense right. movement. So in karate, how would you lessen the intensity of the movements of stance work and stuff like that? So you would want to do probably like 30 to 50% of the volume load. So what that means is if you're using resistance, you want to use 30 to 50% of the resistance you were using at the time of the original original workout. So if you were squatting with 100 pounds, squat with 30 to 50 pounds. If you were doing, um, let's let's switch it back over to karate stuff. If you did, <clears throat> if you did, let's say an hour of like intense stance work, and you were you were in stance probably 35 to 40 minutes, which is probably most likely. Um, I'm not saying you should necessarily do 15 minutes of stance work, but 10 to 15 minutes of moving through stances, not necessarily holding them isometrically, but moving through those stances will likely give you a little bit of relief. You have to think about that as like a whole hour class. You're not going to be technically in stance an entire hour, unless you're, unless you're with a bunch of crazy people, yeah, then you might have been, but more than likely it's about three quarters of that so, time. So doing it like a Tai Chi style approach, would that help or? Probably, not, yeah. It's just really, really, literally the time, the time, uh, the amount of time mm -hmm. spent doing that exercise. Yeah, I mean, you, if you okay. wanna, if you wanna have a system for it, then yeah, take the amount, the total amount of time approximately that you were actually doing that exercise, Sorry. drop it down by fifty or seventy percent, and then do that amount as far as your recovery goes. Um, it doesn't have to be an exact science, but that's just a good starting template. You're gonna have to listen to your body once again to see how your body is feeling. Now, sometimes. You will be so freaking sore that you'll get into stance and it will totally suck and you won't want to do that 30 or 50%. But at least doing a little bit is going to help with that as far as that recovery goes. Now, this is a different approach, though, when it comes to... So so it is true. If you want to get rid of a hangover, you just drink more. No. Well, you, I mean, it's the I, same, I right? think that's the that's, idea. That's but the that same, is not, right? I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Comment below if you disagree with Lauren. I don't know, okay? I'm not going <laughs> to drink like that. Okay, so um, let's talk about acute injuries. So, okay. Like there's an actual injury, let's say, let's not you know, go with broken bones, okay? Because yeah, those are obvious, obviously yeah. like way outside of our scope. Uh, let's say like... Say sprained injury. Yeah, a sprain or a muscle tear or pull. Strain, yeah. How are we going to handle that? Um, always, always, always consult a doctor if you're concerned about your safety of continuing to exercise. Never, ever doubt your gut feeling when it comes to your body. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that, now, if you feel like, yeah, it's not that bad, I would encourage you to not go overdo it. Don't be like, oh, it's just a little thing and keep on working hard. Right. Slow your pace down. Slow your intensity down. Keep moving, but don't stop Within, you're talking about, you're talking about within the context With, of, a, of that, a class where yeah, you actually got injured? Yeah, like you felt a little twitch. Let's say you felt a twitch halfway through class. Okay. In the second half of class, um, you're not you're you already talked to your sensei and they're there you come to an agreement that yeah, I'm just gonna take it a little bit easier, I'm gonna go a little bit slower, so I'm gonna move, but I'm not gonna go as fast or hard. Mm -hmm. Um you can still get things out of that, you can still work on technique, timing and everything else. But at the same time, what I'm trying to encourage you to do is not to immediately stop mm -hmm. and then get cold. Right. To slow down gradually, mm -hmm. and then at the end of class, at the end of that time period where you feel like yeah, that's all I can do, you know, look at it. Is it swelling? 
is it is it extremely painful? Mm. Are you throbbing there? These things mm. you you know you kind of got to know. Is it tingling? You know things like that. Right. Burning, tingling, itching sensation usually refers to like a nerve issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's throbbing and it, and it's swollen, then obviously there's damage there somewhere because mm-hmm. the body's reacting to that, right? Right. The difference may be with like an ankle sprain or a knee sprain or something because yeah. in those cases you might not be able to put any weight on it. Right, but that's right. Goes back to can you have you made can that you decision continue. Yeah. to continue? Right. So if you roll your ankle and you can't put weight on it, then there's no way you should be trying to go out there. That's right. you know, to me a little bit of common sense. Right. But well, you would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but to me, that's the best route. Is if it's something you could you could deal with, you feel like you personally can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, if you can't stand up, you can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, even with its wrist or elbows, if you can't put a lot of pressure on it, then don't don't continue. Mm-hmm. But if there's you know that, that gray area right then go slower yep. take it easy slow down gradually mm-hmm. stretch out a little bit at the end right. not to the point you feel pain mm-hmm. not that like oh i gotta go you know my full range don't do that just go to a point where you feel starting to feel discomfort stop there and then reassess you know check your range of motion make sure you can still move around yeah you know yeah that's, I would, that's my approach yeah know? i would definitely say within that same Within that same training session or even following training sessions, yeah. as considering that it is an acute injury, you should only you should be able to continue to work. You don't want to try, you don't want to avoid uh, physical activity when, whenever possible. You want to continue on with physical activity. You don't want to you don't want to go backwards, but you also don't want to be pushing yourself into this 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 state of pain where you're not able to recover from whatever this injury is, even if you don't feel pain from it. Yeah. Um. So. Essentially, you want to try to work through ranges of motion that you can handle, that you can handle without pain, without exacerbating the injury, whatever that is. If it's a knee injury, if it's an ankle injury, maybe you're not going as deep into stances, maybe you're not going through a full range of motion in your punches if it's a shoulder thing, you're not raising your arm all the way up over your head if it's a rotator cuff thing. Still working, but only working the ranges of motion that you can handle for right now. And maybe outside of class time, this is the reason why we will always suggest supplementary stuff like massage or, or yeah. strength training or, or mobility work or whatever outside of class time. Your class time, you know, like as far as karate go, goes, it is structured, but those movements are not as controlled as like a very strict like stretching position or a very strict squat. Those are very simplified movement patterns, even though we do like a hinge movement and we do ver- uh, horizontal pressing movements, positions and stuff when we're doing karate training, it's controlled more in a strength and conditioning type of environment. So if you can work on the range of motion stuff in that strength training time or that mobility training time, then you'll be able to experiment with that in your karate training time. I would be very cautious of doing that whenever you're only on the dojo floor. I would try to do that separately. That way you know where your safe points are which was your your safe safety word safe safe word safe <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> so you know what your safe what your safe range of motion is and then when you get back on the dojo floor you're able to, to work with that yeah if you're if you're talking about outside the dojo and then massage therapy would be great for something like that where right. it's in that gray zone mm-hmm. um you know it's something that you have to understand when pain and, and an injury if you're injured you need to go see a doctor right there's no way around it you have to get a professional doctor to look at you mm-hmm. give you an assessment and then go from there you should yeah you should but if you're uh, let's say you're an amateur adult athlete guy that's been doing sports all his life or her all her life and you you kind of got you twitch something you know it's something that you have to deal with mm-hmm. and you can deal with i would encourage going to massage 
Um, maybe not right after that, but within the next day or two so that you can start getting helping um, the swelling go down. Right. Uh, and, and helping with the soreness mm-hmm. and, and giving you some comfort, you know. Swelling slows down healing. Right. The faster you get the swelling moving and, and kind of flowing better, the better off you are. The earlier you approach it, the worse the pain is, like mm-hmm. the actual therapy is, mm-hmm. but the better the result. Right. So let's say if you have swelling on at 8 o'clock at Wednesday night, mm-hmm. if you go to see a massage therapist Thursday morning, mm-hmm. you're going to be ahead. You're going to be ahead on the recovery right. path. And, you, and that's kind of what I'm talking about is the, the idea that if you, you know you're going to be recovering from this and you want to get a step ahead, mm-hmm. then massage therapy absolutely mm-hmm. will help you there. So Yeah. Just a quick science side note. It is interesting that like you learned in massage therapy school that essentially massage therapy is, is stimulating a histamine response in order right. to increase blood flow to an area. Swelling technically is that. It is actually increasing the amount of nutrients being brought to an area in order to, number one, protect it, but number two, facilitate healing. So you do have to have some swelling. Um, right. There's a reason that your body is doing that. It's just that after a certain point, you do want it to start. You do right. want to you try don't... to get it to diminish. Right, but that 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 point is is relatively less than what most people think swelling is. Right. You know, once you start to see a difference in the size of your whatever area, hmm. that visual difference is generally too much. Mm. You, you want to work that at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. Um, comment below. If you disagree. <laughs> okay. Every time you hit the table, oh. it just into the microphone. Oh, it's So based. it's got like, so there's like 20 of those now. <laughs> I uh, talk with my hands if you don't already yeah. know. That's funny. You just did that and the, watch. Mine does it and it's like one big bass. He's looking at the computer making <laughs> things every time he does that. Okay. So the last part of this is how do we avoid... Not necessarily the acute injuries, even though technically, yeah, it does have some interplay with overuse injuries. How right. do we avoid injury in our cardio training? Um, what we said before was the fact that you need to slow down your training. Okay. Anytime you learn a new motor pattern, a new technique, a new stance, new sequences of stances. So if you learn a new kata, mm. go slowly because the shifts and the turns can cause acute injuries and everything else. You want to make sure that you know the patterns and you're safe with the patterns. Mm-hmm. Slow, deliberate training is always best until those patterns are, are ingrained. Mm-hmm. And then speed is introduced and power is introduced. But that's, I feel like in, in, in the American approach of Japanese karate, we, we get that backwards. Okay. You know, a lot of these old school guys talk about go fast, go hard, go fast, go hard. And they're talking to white and yellow belts mm-hmm. who have poor, poor technique. Right. Poor path, poor control, mm-hmm. and that cause injuries early. Mm-hmm. So, the approach, in my opinion, should be opposite. The early stages of your karate life, it should be focused on proper technique, proper right. movement, proper timing, right. control, mm-hmm. emphasizing control and coordination. And then when you get to brown belt, black belt, there should be this shift of of okay, you have these patterns. These are these are significant enough to where you're not going to cause injury. By that, I mean the range of motion through a joint is in its optimal range, not outside of that range where it causes weird wear and tear issues mm-hmm. or where they, where, where the, if the movement causes different parts of the body to take over certain movement instead of being the prime, normal prime movers, it's these other body parts okay. that are, are kind of helping. Right. And that, that's not healthy. You want to make sure you, your body's moving in the way it was designed to move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So the problem with that is that you have to know what that is. Oh, so absolutely. I would also argue on top of that, that having a basic understanding of what the function of the majority of your main joints in your body are yeah. supposed to do would be beneficial. Yeah. A step beyond that would be understanding what the, the main large muscle groups in your body are supposed to be doing. Like understanding that the quads extend the knee. They also flex the hip. So extend the knee means kicking your leg out straight. Flex the hip means lifting your leg up. But then they also control descent. So when you squat, you're actually working your quads in an eccentric motion where you're... So knowing that kind of stuff is actually very helpful. And then, you know, understanding things like your knee is a hinge joint. It right. is essentially supposed to flex and extend. It has some rotation, but it's not supposed to have a ton of rotation. So when you're in a front stance and you're moving in and you have valgus collapse, which means your front knee is falling inward, that's a bad thing because you're not only, you're putting pressure on that knee in, in a bad location, in a, in a direction it's not supposed to have it, but then that also is traveling up into your hip and you're doing some stuff there. Right. Knowing that your, that your hip socket is like a ball and socket joint, but there are limits to how far you can move and everyone's hips are a little bit different. That's important information because you might not be able to go into a full straddle. You might not be able to kick really high off to the side. You might not be able to extend your hip out into that like straddle position when you do a side snap kick or a side thrust kick because your hips are not going to allow you to do that. You're actually smacking into the end range of motion. Literally your femur is smacking into your your head of your, into your pelvis. So basically your, your bones are smacking into each other. Um, those kind of things end up causing overuse injuries in the short term and major injuries in the long term and hip replacements and knee replacements and things like that. So understanding those kinds of things and then furthermore adding a layer of understanding of your own anatomy can make a big difference. I know, yeah, see, I know that I have limited shoulder range of motion. My arm just doesn't, my arms don't go very far back over my head. It's something I have to work on all the time. I don't know why it's like that. It might be genetic. It might be neglect. But I know that if I crank my arms back too much, I've actually jacked up both my shoulders before trying to do dumbbell snatches Mm. where you take the dumbbell and literally like do a snatch like that. You can do it with a barbell too. But I didn't have the shoulder range of motion and didn't know it. Mm. So knowing that now, I'm able to take that into consideration with my karate training. So if you notice things like that about yourself, obviously take that into consideration. I mean, like you were saying, don't kick high if you can't. Yeah, I mean, and now, granted, there is a flip side to this. Sometimes you have limited range of motion because you don't have the mobility, which is essentially strength through a range of motion. So if you don't have the strength to lift your knee up really high, it might just be because you're weak and you need to get stronger. But sometimes there is actually bony, there are bony structures in the way that are not going to allow you to do that. Or tendons. It's that same approach, you know, slow, methodic focus on your body position mm-hmm. you know at first if you can't lift your knee up high don't do it mm-hmm. learn the pattern learn, right. get comfortable with the pattern and then for me when you add speed and power what happens is obviously your range of motion will get bigger right and that's where you should you know not aim to have high kicks but allow yourself to kick as high as you can yep and there's a difference there most people feel like if they have to kick high, they're gonna they're gonna tighten up mm-hmm. and try to kick high, and that's the worst situation. You don't want to stretch a muscle as you're trying to tighten it at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's literally where strains happen. Yeah, it's literally what happens. So, mm-hmm. um, learning to be able to control your body, learning the, your limitations, but also learning that you know you can push those limitations a little bit at a time. Right. That's again, that's why we emphasize in our dojo technique, control, coordination before any speed or power. Right. You know, we would rather y'all go, our students go slower. Obviously, don't be, don't be 
stupid about it and go mm. ridiculously slow. Mm. But you know, there's a control element there. Mm. We can't. We don't allow our kids to just slam or throw themselves across the floor. Mm-hmm. That's the first correction. We're like, you don't do that. Right. So I would add two other things to the two mm. answers that we just gave, and one playing off of what you just said. Having a coach or a teacher yeah. was watching you. So yeah. as you get more advanced, that's harder because a lot of us are running dojos and a lot of us don't have people to watch us all the time. Right. If you're able to find someone, even if it is a peer who is able to watch videos of you or they're able to watch your training and they're able to give you correction, it's not about you being right or wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it's essentially about protecting your body. Absolutely. I think maybe that let's, let's get on the soapbox again here. If karate people would get over the right or wrong idea when someone gives you a correction, they're not mm. trying to say you're wrong or you're right. They may use those words sometimes, but but essentially what they're trying to say is, hey, there is a more <laughs> optimal way to move. Don't yeah. You got to get your ego out of it, okay? Because yeah. sometimes people are literally just trying to help and we just kind of want to do our own thing. So anyway, go yeah. ahead, getting off that soapbox. No, I'm going to go a little bit further with that. Um, you know, the what's the end game? A lot of times, it's what's the end game? Are you trying to preserve right. yourself to, to enjoy the art that you spent so much time, invested so much time to already right. in your later years? Mm-hmm. Or are you trying to make a name for yourself and, and build your ego up and whatever? It's one. It's de- depending on what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, Honestly, if you look at all these other sports that be amateur, there's a large amateur growth or amateur um, competition. Like powerlifting. Powerlifting and stuff. It's because they like what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? But they also are very conscious of how to keep their body going. I mean, these guys do some ridiculous things, and they just are constantly at the extreme of what they can do. In other sports, you mean? Yeah, like, well, powerlifting, you know, this um, track and field, when the amateur have track and field, these it's very competitive. Yeah. Right? It's like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm about to lose control, lose thought, sorry. What I'm trying to say is this. I almost feel like there's a part of a karate culture where it's acceptable that after so many years of training, it's okay that you don't train anymore because you have bad hips and bad knees and, and you don't... Right. You and we're trying put, to prevent getting to yeah, that that's what we're, we're trying to avoid that with our friends. I mean, let's be right. real. Uh, the generation, the older generation, the 50s and 60-year-olds now, almost, I'd say every other person in that generation has some kind of replacement, either mm-hmm. being a shoulder, hip, or knee. Mm-hmm. And and that's almost like a badge of honor to them. Mm-hmm. And I think this gen- this younger generation, these guys that are training, consistently training now, the focus should be that I don't have those things. Right. That I don't have to, to have a replacement because mm-hmm. I did karate for so many years. I right. should be like that stereotypical, stereotypical image of old karate people who look 20 years younger. Right. Who move 40 years younger. Right. Because they just have the better control of their body. Right. And they don't rely on their biological like clock. So essentially, you're trying to develop a balance between taking your body to the maximum, like the maximum limitation that it can, like like surpassing those limitations, but not pushing your limits. Those are two kind of separate things. So essentially, you're trying to maximize the amount of athleticism you can get out of your body without pushing the physiological limits that your body is going to have so that you're not essentially hurting yourself all the time. That's basically. Yeah, I think you just defined efficiency. Basically. Well, huh. I don't know. Efficiency, sort of. Well, cause but also, me, there's there's an extreme least... point there. I mean, it's, it's more efficient to do a lower kick, but we're practicing high kicks so that we have more control through yeah. a fuller range of motion. So there's yeah. some different thoughts there. It's, yeah, but it's all efficiency in the movement. It's, but it's what, what it's supposed to lead to, yeah. Yeah, and that's the goal, right? Yeah. That's the end game for me. So, once again, going back to the coaching point, having someone looking 
onto your karate and being able to help you, that's important. Now, I have, I, a few years ago, I got a question from someone similar to this and they're like, how do I know if my instructor knows what they're looking at? Ooh. Because that happens and that's unfortunate. Mm. And I'm not saying that we are perfect by any means because we have made so many mistakes I think, I think with our students our over student the years. That question, right? No, it wasn't. <laughs> we've had, we've made so many mistakes over the years oh, and we've had to go back and correct things that we've told our students and they're just like, rolling their yeah, eyes yeah. and i'm like i'm sorry dude there's a generation that went through our dojo that oh, i think learned man. how to like four or five different ways of doing almost everything i know and i feel I, so bad for those people that's because we were still learning that's that's the downside yeah, it's like we we're still yeah. fixing our fundamentals and you're right. essentially teaching so anyhow um mm. so how do you know if your teacher knows or not there's a lot of things we could get into with that particular conversation maybe we'll leave that for a separate day but here's how you should know whether or not a movement is safe. Do you see that type of movement being replicated in other sports or activities? Mm. If if it is replicated in maybe one other sport, maybe it's legit. If it's replicated in two or more, then it's probably fine. Yeah. If it's not replicated at all, then we might have a problem. So yeah. it's fine for something to be fun and different, but if other very highly competitive sports like Olympic level sports, and I'm not, not talking about karate because I know that karate is in the Olympics this year. I mean, other types of sports outside of martial arts. If there are other types of sports where that type of general movement pattern is being done, then maybe it's okay. But if it's not being done, if you do not see that replicated in other sports, I would be very, very careful. Yeah. There are high level coaches in other sports who do listen to scientific research and are very, very good at what they do. And they are trying to preserve the lo the the longevity. the longevity of their athletes. Absolutely. And sometimes, like Jeremiah was saying, sometimes we don't think that way. Sometimes we think it's a badge of honor to be all beat up right. by the time we're 40, 50, 60 years old. We're not dogging on the people who have had that happen. But I think it is a learning experience right. for us to try to avoid that in the mm -hmm. long term. Mm -hmm. From history. So, once again, if you don't see a specific aspect of your karate that you are harping on or that someone else is harping on or something that you're doing that's causing pain. If you're not seeing that type of movement pattern in another sport, then that might be a red flag. Yeah. If you're not trained to be able to see those types of movement patterns because you're not that type of instructor, you're just trying to do this for fun, maybe finding someone who is more skilled at that type of thing will help. And that might mean, you know, contacting other people. I'm not saying go over the head of your instructor. I'm not saying that, but doing things to aid in your own training. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Well, with the, you know, with Google and everything else, there's so many forums and so many other places where you get different information. Mm -hmm. You don't have to necessarily go over the, your head, your instructor, instructor's head, but at the same time, right. I think you should be a critical thinker. Yeah. And there, there's a difference between a critical <laughs> thinker and a naysayer. And yes. they say it's like, no, that ain't going to work. And they don't put any kind of thought behind that statement. Right. They immediately just kind of smear it away. That is a naysayer. A critical thinker goes, you know what? That's unique or different to what I'm doing. But let me look at it. Let me investigate it more. Let me compare it to other movements or other people that are, are successful in karate and see what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know? And, and kind of be a critical thinker, not a sheep, not someone just going to fall blindly, but mm -hmm. someone that's going, you know what? This is my body. I have to take this in consideration right you know it could be the simple the fact is you know you can't kick that high and they want they demand that you kick high mm -hmm. there's an issue there right so yeah yeah definitely um i think i think the more that you 
practice seeing those things, yeah. which was something that we've noticed. Yeah. The more you practice seeing, the easier it's going to get. So you just have to start somewhere when it comes to that sort of thing. So that means seeing yourself, seeing yeah. other people, and then also relating that to how your body ends up feeling. Right. You know, it's that that's the whole idea of videotaping yourself and watching it. It's, dude, for most people I talk to, it's one of the most gut-wrenching things to do. Yeah, for some people it's really hard. It's really hard. And, yeah. But, you know, what I'm, I'm going to say to that is it's probably because you know the mistakes. Mm-hmm. You already have the knowledge. Which is awesome, right. by the way. Right. It's like you just don't have the guts to change the way you're doing it because you thought you were doing it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, your feelings, the way you move is deceptive. Sometimes oh, yeah. you think you got it and because it feels good and it's better than what you're doing before. Mm-hmm. But if you watch it in video, it's actually worse. You're taking a step Sometimes, backwards. Yeah. And that's, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Man, I want to cry. <laughs> anyway like, oh, man. hopefully but, that was kind of helpful yeah but it's if you want to prolong your life in karate or in martial arts in general you have to be very aware of what your body's doing and what it's telling you because yep. if you don't you're going to have a very short mm-hmm. you know duration of training or, or and you're going to feel like they robbed you of something when in reality mm-hmm. you robbed yourself because he's got to man he's got to you gotta value the body you have. Yeah. Everybody thinks, oh, with I could change, I could get this replaced and that replaced, and no big deal. But most of the guys I talk to that have those things, they come with limitations. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't they're not perfect. Yeah. So. And just to add, just to clarify a point, how your body feels over time, not how your body feels while you're doing a specific movement. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't tell when you're doing a specific movement that it is injur- injurious to you. Um, sometimes it actually feels pretty good to do it that way. Sometimes it feels strong. Sometimes it feels fast. Sometimes it feels powerful. And sometimes that's friggin' deceptive. So yeah. if you can if you can pay attention to what changes you've made or what you've been doing in your karate and then noticing how that part of your body's feeling, sometimes that can be helpful. Part of the downside is going to be that certain injuries like that that lead to uh, joint replacements. It'll take a long, long time before you ever feel anything. And that's what sucks, is you may train for 20 or 25 years a specific way before you ever realize that you have put your body at risk or you've been starting to deteriorate a joint. That's difficult to know without scans and stuff. But that's why it goes back to having a watchful eye, having other people looking on can be helpful, especially people with experience who know the difference. You got to trust them that they're not just going to, you know, tell you what you want to hear. Right. That they're going to be just as critical of you because they want the same for themselves. I yep. mean, your training buddies, man, they they are going to make the biggest difference yeah. when it comes to like longevity and, and improvement, mm-hmm. progression. Yeah. So. Definitely. Um, okay. So what you working on? Ah, I just started doing chinte again. Did you? What? Well, I decided it's been a while since the both of us worked on the same kata, mm-hmm. so I figured it'd be fun to do that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, yay! Yes. We're really competitive, so it's going to become this thing. Like, are we? <laughs> I feel like I hope it doesn't, but I feel like it's going to become this thing where who got the more corrections? Oh, who, okay. who, who did this? I told you we we're supposed to do it this way. That's what <laughs> the big one's going to be. I told you so. Big bunch of fights is basically what you're looking for. Well, no, I just <laughs> it it's fun. Sometimes, and then sometimes you, it's when you're working on certain techniques, you know, you, you just don't have it, you know, it down deep. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hear it from someone else yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, so side snap kick, like, I couldn't train that with you. Why? Because 
I've always had horrible side snap kicks. Like I've never really felt comfortable doing them, mm-hmm. and being con- and I have never had confidence in them. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that it's like really personal to me. Mm-hmm. Not because it's a tough kick anyway. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that. it's just because of my own experience with it mm-hmm. that it's become this thing, mm-hmm. and it's hard to hear like your equal have something to say about it. <laughs> you know, it's hard hard enough to listen to your sensei go. Mm, no, not quite, you know, mm-hmm. or no, and they gives the corrections because you, you already submitted to that authority. Mm-hmm. But when your Kohai does it, it's like. <sighs> I know. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. She act like she don't do that to me. No, I'm not saying I don't do that to you because I know you do it to me. Ooh. So I just accept it. See, my thought is oh, it's if, if it makes me better, then I win. Mm-hmm. So if you just keep giving me corrections, I'll be like, okay, let's keep doing it. And I'll just keep getting better. We all win. We all win. Hmm? <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what were you saying again? I don't know. I think you're gonna ask me what I was working on. Uh, I don't really. <laughs> what are you working on, Lauren? I was working on a conquer show for a long time, and I decided that that jump is awful, and it is better. Mm. But when I do it fast, I still do it wrong. So, mm. taking a break from that. Yeah. Started chinte. Yeah. Kata is really strange. Um, which, I mean, I guess that's kind of the point, ten hands. But, um, the, pro- I, the problem I have with certain is it, katas... Is that what it's translated? Ch- chinte is ten hands? I don't know. That's what everybody says it is. Or strange hands. Strange, strange hands. Strange hands, strange hands. Not yeah. Ten. Jute is ten hands. Yeah, yeah. Chinte is strange hands. Um, so... Oh, whatever. Okay, I can't remember. Well, the other day on that, on that podcast with mm-hmm. Scott Langley, mm-hmm. I was talking about side thrust kick. Oh, uh, yeah. Side, side snap kick! Because <laughs> yeah. I'm... I'm an idiot. Sorry. Yeah. And then I was table. like very embarrassed. I was glad I was wearing makeup because my face was very red. Aww. Uh, um, so uh, some certain katas I have hated through the years only because I would be in a class where we would just do it over and over and over and over and over like with no specific purpose. I'm like, why are we doing jite again? It's very annoying. Mm. So um, chinte was one of those where I had that experience. So mm. I'm not, it's not my favorite kata. But I was like, I, I kind of need to work on it. Cool thing is that once you start breaking katas down, it makes you like them a little bit more because you get to find fun little yeah, things fun that little are things in there. Are, yeah. So, yeah. working on chinte, working on some timing issues with transitioning it from fudadach into zinkusadach yeah. and like the reverse punching things. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of those were wrong. So, um, <laughs> having to fix stuff like that. Yeah. So, anyway, on to a new adventure with chinte. Mm-hmm. I'm giving my hips a break because. Well, actually, Konkushou wasn't that bad, but Hangetsu and, and Soshin, Soshin, man, I, I, that was one of those where I was pushing it too far yeah. and didn't understand my own hip anatomy because I actually jacked up my hip a little bit there. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yay. Not cool. Yay. Go us. All go right, guys. Us. Well, Thank it's you. been great. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions, feel free to email them to us, Shotokan Karate Human Performance at gmail.com. Or you can comment them below if you're on the YouTube. Aight. The YouTubes. Bye. Bye.